are uh, continuing our series in Mark's Gospel called The King and His Cross, and we've reached uh, Mark 11. And um, we're entering into the last week of Jesus' life uh, before he approaches the cross. And um, you can find this story if you have one of these Bibles, which are the the purple, uh, kind of spine, I suppose. Uh, It's on page 764, and Dave is going to hand some out. Some of them will have different page numbers, but if you get that purple one, you will know which page it's on. So, um, I wonder, have you ever been in a, in a moment or in a room or a place where you felt like all eyes have been on you, but in a good way? So, like, you've walked in the room and then suddenly everyone has turned and looked at you. Maybe it's like you've been at a party. Um, I don't know what it's like to feel like the coolest person at a party, but maybe you felt like that. I don't know. Or maybe you felt like you've had some VIP treatment. You've got corporate at an event or something. And it just feels like everyone is watching you and everyone is for you. Um, you've maybe done an achievement. You maybe achieved something in your workplace, in your school, that everyone puts their eyes on you and watches you. And um, famous moments I was thinking of of people entering uh, into uh, a triumphant kind of way um, recently were uh, things like some sporting events. So the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, they won the Super Bowl for the first time ever in their, like, in over 50 years. And then the the city of Philadelphia was just lined with people waiting for their bus to come to parade. Or maybe um, when a U.S. president has been inaugurated in Washington, all those people lining up just to catch a glimpse of this new leader. Or uh, even the wedding of Harry and Meghan when they got when they got married and they went round Windsor and there was just hundreds and thousands of people flocked uh, to that tiny little town just watching over and uh, cheering on this new couple. All of these moments have a crowd welcoming their team, uh, their leader, their people, and cheering them on. And those uh, moments could all be described as a triumphal entry. And sometimes this passage that we're looking at today is sometimes referred to as the triumphal entry. And um, Jesus has been ministering to people uh, across uh, Israel uh, for just about three years now. And this is the moment where he enters Jerusalem. It's like this is the moment that we've been waiting for as we've been reading through this. This is the moment where almost a culmination of him becoming the king that we know he is and having his destination of the cross collide. And I want you to imagine what it would feel like as Jesus is entering that city. But also I want you to imagine what would it be like if Jesus was coming into where we live. So maybe that's Stonehaven or Port Lethen or Newton Hill, or Muckles, or Cove, or Aberdeen, or wherever we're from, Jesus is entering into your world, into your place. Maybe even a, a bigger city than that. Do you think he would get the same reaction as the other events I've mentioned? The truth is probably not. The truth is there might be protests, there might be people welcoming, but there also might be people who are just not bothered. There might not be the same numbers that we've talked about there. I think the reason for that is twofold. One is that people don't know who Jesus is. People maybe have never even heard the story of Jesus. They don't know what kind of king he really is. Also, people don't always see a difference in us as followers. And this morning, uh, and in our community, in our uh, who we are as a church, we want to change that. We want to show people who Jesus really is. 
the king that he really is. And we want to be set apart from the world, to act differently to the world, to live in a way that God has asked us to live so that people see us and they think, gosh, there's something different about you. There's something I can't quite put my finger on, but it's different. And we want to be able to point to that king, to Jesus. So our big question today is, how do we show people to Jesus? And to answer that, I want to answer that in two parts of what kind of king Jesus is and what is our response to him. I'm just going to read Mark 11, verses 1 to 11. They'll appear on the screen behind me. And if you have uh, in the Bibles or on your phone as well, uh, you can find that. So this is Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it in here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Just going to pray for us now as we read and open God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you can speak to us today through your word. And Lord, as we reflect on you and who you are and on us and our response to you, Lord, I just pray that the words that I have today would uh, be from you, and I would just be your vessel. But I pray they'd be seasoned with salt to speak to each one of us. Would you give us something each to take away this morning? We worship you now and listen to you now, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, my first question to kind of answer that of how do we show people Jesus is what kind of king is Jesus? So, um, if we think about the entrance of uh, Jesus in our 21st century minds. If you're thinking about, I want to make a big entrance somewhere. Um, You're maybe a king or queen. Well done, I don't know how you've done that. But you're maybe a king or queen of a country or or a place. And you're like, how do I make a big entrance? You might think slightly differently to how Jesus did. If I was that person, I'd be like, right, how do I make a big entrance? I'd maybe make sure I've got heightened security. I've got my people there that are going to, if there's any dodgy people, they'll just get out of the way. I'll maybe have some people I'll definitely have that they're going to be the most enthusiastic people that they're going to be cheering, whipping up the crowd, uh, maybe just getting them around, just making sure everyone's extremely excited. I'll maybe even get some uh, a smoke machine. That would be quite cool. Or some lasers or some fireworks, just to make sure people know that I am coming. 
uh, into the legendary town that is Stonehaven. Um, which, I mean, if tomorrow I drive home from work tomorrow evening and people want to make some smoke machine and fireworks for me coming, I'd be okay with that. that. I mean, it'd be a bit weird, but I'd be okay. The car you might enter in, you might think, well, I might go for a limo. Maybe I'll go for a Rolls Royce. Or maybe you might go, well, I might go big. I might go Ferrari. Or maybe you've got some serious swag and you might go for a Hummer. Um, something like that. I don't know. Or maybe you'd want to be more traditional and go for like a, a horse-drawn carriage, gold-encrusted, uh, all the whole works, the whole shebang. Jesus is a very different king to me, you'll be pleased to hear. He's a very different king to anyone, any one of us. He's a very different king to anyone on earth. Because he, his means of transport is very different and is very humble. Verse 2. In this passage, Jesus says, Go to the village ahead of you. You'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And then we see again in verse 7, When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, on what he knows will be the last week of his life, his mode of transport is a donkey. Not only is it a donkey, but it's a colt, which is a very young donkey. And not only is it a very young donkey, it's never been ridden before. So it's a very, very, very young donkey. Smaller than normal as well. I would maybe class that as similar to maybe uh, me coming into a big procession, a big triumphal entry in a smart car. Or a Morris Minor, if you remember what those are. Something very humble, something very small, something almost blinking you'd miss it. But that's what he does. Jesus is a king of humility. And uh, what he is doing is showing he's countercultural to the kings of the time of what maybe they would have entered. And um, to, to explain maybe a few years ago when the time of King David, King David would have often been associated uh, maybe riding a donkey uh, when he was around his people. And he was the, the good king of Israel. He was the one that uh, people know about from the Psalms. And he was one of their the ones they really believed would be one of those true kings. But he rode on this donkey to show he was humble, to show he was close to his people, that he was there to love and to serve them and not to lord over them. But after the time of David, it was almost felt that donkeys weren't appropriate uh, for a king. I bet you didn't come to church thinking you get history of donkeys, but there you go. That's where we're going today. Um, but... They would mount horses. That's what they decided. That was a better mode of transport. And actually, these horses, they would mount them higher and higher and higher. They would push themselves further and further away from their people. And they would lose that connection. And almost um, a very artistic and dramatic way of, of seeing this, of picturing this in your mind, would be the entrance, I don't know if anyone remembers this film, the entrance of King Xerxes in uh, the film 300. Does anyone remember that film? It was like about 12 years ago. It was like a comic book film, dramatized the Battle of Thermopylae uh, in ancient Greece. It's okay. It's got Gerard Butler trying to do a Greek accent, but he's just very Scottish. So it's like Sparta, all like that. So this moment happens where uh, King Leonidas, played by Gerard Butler, meets King Xerxes. And um, they're kind of meeting to negotiate to see if they can work anything out, um, just to see kind of if there's not going to be a battle, if they can have a truce. And uh, Gerard Butler's there with his posse, with his crew, about four or five guys. And then you see this uh, this kind of procession coming towards him. 
And it starts off on this man, King Xerxes, and just him, and he's kind of in gold, he's in ornaments. And then as it, the camera pans down, you see this massive throne that he's sitting on, made of marble, made of jewels, made of all these things, incredibly heavy things. And then it just pans out so that at the bottom, what you can see is people who are carrying this uh, throne. So they're like all crouched over. And there's thousands of them just carrying this throne to make sure that King Xerxes can get to King Leonidas. I mean, it's a ridiculous way to, to be transported, but that's what he wanted to go for. And as he's on this throne and he comes down to meet Leonidas, as he steps down, it's probably about this high, as he steps down, these men get on their backs and he steps down on each one of them, using them as footsteps to get down onto the ground. What a crazy crazy way to get around but one image of a king that those people would have been used to of people that lifted themselves up they were better than everyone else and they almost compared themselves to gods i don't know what you think about uh, the world today but there are probably people that we know or people that we see in society where they lift themselves up higher and higher away from the people that they're almost untouchable that is not jesus Jesus is a king of humility. Jesus was riding on a donkey. He showed he was humble. He showed he was a king of the people. When other people, kings, separated themselves from the people, Jesus is a king who is desperate to be reunited with his people, to be reunited with humanity. He lowers himself up to our level that we can have relationship with him. He lowers himself here, but also we see later on. He lowers himself to the depths of the deep. That He lowers himself to the cross where he died and was rose again. And we see that in Philippians 2, where Jesus' humility is shown that he made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, this king of humility, rather than pushing away others, he draws himself closer to his people, to humanity, to allow us to have that relationship with him. And that is the king we must show our friends, our family, our work colleagues, whoever we meet. That is the God we must show people who humbled himself to die for you, for me, and for them king of humility he's also a king of purity um, i have been watching the, so jill and i have recently had our first son levi wonderful wonderful uh, so exciting and because uh, late night feeds and all those things jill and i have been watching quite a lot of box sets trying to put him to sleep trying to feed him and um just looking after him so two of the most uh, successful box sets of the last couple of years or tv shows they're not box sets originally they're tv shows then they become box sets anyway Small point. Uh, two of the most successful TV shows, most popular, most critically uh, are Scandal and Breaking Bad. Has anyone seen any of those shows? Scandal or Breaking Bad? Jamie, you're like full of it. You and me. We could have a conversation after. 300, Scandal, Breaking Bad. Three's ass on the hand as well. Well done. Um, so these are really, really popular shows, especially in the United States. But both of them are interesting where they show... Um, kind of few different themes. So Scandal is based on a Washington uh, DC fixer called Olivia Pope. Uh, so she works in the politics game and the kind of celebrity game, basically uh, sorting out situations that could ruin reputations. She comes and cleans them up. Um, 
And Breaking Bad is about a high school chemistry teacher called Walter White uh, who starts uh, making uh, crystal meth, starts making drugs to kind of uh, help his family. He realizes he needs to help his family out. He needs to get some more money. So he decides to make that. I mean, odd, odd choice, but he goes for it. But what these two shows both have in common is their depiction of power and their also use and imagery of color. So their depiction of power. Both shows have their main character. They get to the top of their field kind of almost unwittingly initially. Uh, in Scandal, Olivia Pope becomes chief of staff to the president. And in Breaking Bad, Walter White uh, kind of goes up and up in the drug scene in New Mexico and suddenly becomes uh, the most kind of uh, revered, I suppose if you could call that, or maybe the most feared uh, kind of drug dealer in uh, New Mexico under the alias of Heisenberg. And the focus is on once they get there into this position of power, they do everything they can to hold on to power. It's like power is like this thing in the wind that just slips away and they're trying to grasp so tightly to make sure they hold on to power. They, this, these shows, the kind of emphasis is that all power corrupts. That the closer you get to the top, almost the more seduced you get by power you become and you become the thing that you were trying to avoid in the first place. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Olivia in Scandals, her surname is Pope, and that almost from the creators, there's a hint again there that any title that could once have been considered pure uh, can be corrupted. It's just that theme of power all the way through, that power is something that once you get it, it can corrupt you, it can consume you, it can become you. And also these shows use color as a powerful imagery. Uh, Early on in Scandal, Olivia is known as the white sheriff. So she wears the white hat. And she's like the only good sheriff in town, the only righteous sheriff in town. And you see her wearing lots of white. As the show progresses uh, further and further, she wears more dark colors, more black colors, more and more. Uh, that she's symbolizing, the TV show creators are symbolizing that her corruption is turning to the dark side of politics, turning to the dark side of things. And again, Walter White, again white, a symbol of purity, starts off wearing light-colored clothes. But again, as, as he progresses further and further, he wears black more and more. And his uh, alias as Heisenberg is known as just this person who wears black, symbolizing his transformation. And the point I'm trying to uh, convey, the point that those uh, TV show creators are trying to convey, is that society and culture tells us the higher we go, the dirtier we have to get our hands the more corrupt we have to be to get there. Isn't that interesting? That's uh, the kind of view on maybe the political sphere, the leader sphere in the world, even just the cultural sphere. But Jesus is nothing like that. Jesus, the King of Kings, comes into Jerusalem and he rides on this donkey, this symbol of purity. He's riding something that's never been ridden, a sign of purity, untouched, uncorrupted. Jesus could have all the power he wants, but he hasn't been corrupted. He remains pure. We see that uh, when Jesus is tempted uh, by the devil in the desert in Matthew 4, where he's tempted with food, he's tempted with proving that God is good, and he's tempted with power. And three times he's tempted, three times he rejects. We see as well that Jesus is pure by his sacrifice of what he does for us. In the Old Testament, 
Uh, the priests of the people would have brought a lamb without blemish, without defect. And they would have brought that to the altar to be sacrificed. And that would have been an atoning offering of, of their sins. But they knew it was only temporary. They knew it didn't last. But it was almost a symbol of just, we need to be, we need to be uh, forgiven. Jesus is that perfect and pure sacrifice. The lamb without blemish. It says in 1 Peter 1, 18-19, For you know it was not with perishable things such as gold and silver that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without defect. And in John 1, uh, John the Baptist said, as he saw Jesus approaching, he said, Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is that king of purity, without sin, teaching us how to live and paying the penalty that only he could as that perfect sacrifice. Jesus is a king of humility, a king of purity, and that is countercultural to our society. That is countercultural to our culture and our world. And that is the king that you and I, we should be pointing people towards. We should be showing I don't know what you think about God, but this is who I believe in. This is what it says in the Bible. This is the king that I worship. This is who he is. But what should our response be? How should we live that out in our day-to-day lives? If that is the king that we truly believe, that we truly trust in, that we truly follow, how do we respond to him? Well, we can see from the reaction of the disciples and the crowd what our response should be. So our first thing that we should do is that we should lay down our cloaks. We should lay down our cloaks in service. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's on his donkey. And one of the main ways that the disciples and the crowds respond to Jesus is that they serve him. So there are four uh, groups of people that serve Jesus in this passage. In verses 4 to 7, the disciples serve Jesus. They get him the donkey, uh, they do what he asks, and they say yes. He says, will you do this for me? They say yes. And also at at verse 7, before Jesus sits on the donkey, they throw their cloaks onto the donkey. They serve him. There was no saddle, nothing that would uh, protect him, support him. So they throw their cloaks on this donkey to, to serve Jesus. The owners of the donkey serve Jesus as well. In verse 3, Jesus says that uh, when they take this donkey, you'll be questioned um, of whether of what you're going to do with this donkey. And Jesus says to the disciples, say this, say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. And would you know, verse 6, the people uh, question the disciples. The disciples say the Lord needs it. And it says in verse 6 that they say, the people let them go. They realized there's something bigger at play here. We're going to let him go. We're going to let them go. We don't need to ask any more questions. They're going to let him go. The donkey serves Jesus. I love that. I love that the donkey serves Jesus. Think about the donkey. The donkey is unridden. Never been ridden before. Could have been wild. Could have been untamed. But it served. It wasn't the finished article. But it served. And often when I think about donkeys, which I don't do very often, but sometimes when I think about donkeys, there's two images I get of donkeys. Maybe you're thinking of these two images at the moment. You either get Eeyore or you get the donkey from Shrek, don't you? I mean, those are, those are the most famous donkeys, I think, we could think of. And sometimes thinking about serving, sometimes we can think about being a bit like Eeyore. 
and be duty-driven. And Eeyore's like down. He's like, oh, I don't want to do anything today. I'll go along, but I suppose. I suppose if I have to. And he gets lower and lower. But actually, when we serve Jesus, when we serve the King of Kings, our attitude should be like the donkey in Trek. I mean, think about the donkey in Trek. He's like, what can I do? What can I do to help? He's like, all over the shop. He's so excited. He's like, what can I do to help you, Shrek? What can I do? Can I make morning? Can I do all this? Can I help you with this? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be real in our serving or that we need time to process things. But when we serve, and there's a place for each one of us to serve, when we serve, we have the attitude of thinking, it's not about me, it's about him. It's about the king. I want to serve him and do everything I can to serve. And the crowd served Jesus. It said, many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches. And the point is, wherever you are, when you're in the proximity, when you're close to Jesus, you can't help but serve. When we have Jesus in front of us, our response should be to serve him and to serve others. And what I love is that they laid down their cloaks. They sacrificed. They gave something of themselves. Cloaks would have been significant. They would have held status. But they laid them down to be trampled over by this little donkey, which was having this holding this incredible king. And there are people here that lay down their cloaks every week. They're here early, they stay late. There are people here that lay down their cloaks by traveling to other sites in our vicinity and traveling and serving when they've been short. And we've actually got a bit of a reputation of being able to serve other sites, which is great. There are people here that lay down their cloaks in the week to serve in small groups, encounter, worship and lifestyle. But there are many opportunities to serve and the analogy sometimes comes to mind of uh, the football uh, the football um, game that's going on and there's 22,000 people uh, desperately in need of exercise watching 22 people desperately in need of a rest and I don't think we're in that situation I don't think we're in that situation but I also think that we're growing that we want to be a place that has more sites come out of it that has more uh, Churches in our 21 by 21 version that comes out of it. And that means that all of us need to pitch in. That all of us need to serve in some way. And we can sometimes think, the church doesn't need me. They're doing fine. And I have to admit, we can sometimes be pretty good at covering cracks. And be like, it's okay, we've got through this Sunday, it's fine. But if we want to be that blessing to the community, we need you. We need you. We need you. The Lord needs you. That verse 6. The Lord needs you. The Lord needs you. The humble and pure king needs you. And our response to that should be like the crowd, like the disciples, like the donkey, to lay down our cloaks and to serve the king. And if you have any, like, I don't have any idea of how I would serve, I would love to have a conversation with you because I could share of all the different ministries, both on a Sunday and out with, of ways that you could serve. Our response to the king is service. Our response to the king is also worship. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the crowd start to sing. Verses 9 and 10, they say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Again, Their response is service, but their response is also worship. They can't help but worship. They worship because they recognized Jesus as kings. They'd have been maybe reminded of Zechariah 9, where uh, this old prophecy from the Old Testament 
that was said, where it says, See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Think about that prophecy shared hundreds and hundreds of years ago that they'd have been reminded by because they'd have known their Old Testament. They'd have known, they'd be like, here he is. I remember reading this. I remember hearing this. This is the one we are to worship. This is the one who is righteous. This is the one who is victorious. And the crowd start to chant. They start chanting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, this passage, this this, um, excerpt echoes Psalm 118, particularly verses 22 and 23. And the interesting thing about this psalm is that this psalm was when um, a king, the king of the people, he'd go out to war. He went out to war to look after his people, to protect his people on behalf of his people. And he would, uh, when he came back victorious, this is what the priests would speak this psalm over the king. And they'd speak it over him and say, God has anointed you, he's appointed you, he's blessed you, and he's delivered us through your victory. The crowd are saying this to Jesus. They're saying, you are the king we've been waiting for. You are the king we want to honor, want to obey. And Hosanna effectively means save now. There's an urgency there, but also a recognition of worship, a recognition of who Jesus was. They saw the coming king, and all they could do was worship. And let me tell you, let me tell you, we have a king who looks after his people. We have a king who protects people. We have a king that went to war for you, And for me, we have a king who took on the enemy, who took on the devil, who took on his schemes, and he was victorious. Not in the way we might expect, but he sacrificed himself and he took on the penalty of sin. When he was raised from the dead, when he conquered death, he conquered the enemy and he came back victorious. And he comes back victorious to each one of us. And this is our moment where we put down our cloaks, where we put down our acts, we put down our service, we lay them before Jesus, we worship and we sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And if I was a bit more Pentecostal, I'd say, can I get an amen? Amen. Yes! Scared myself there. When the king comes into town, our city our life, our heart, our response must be worship and it must be service. And again, worship, we can sometimes think, I didn't really feel the worship today. Or we kind of think, oh, I didn't quite hear that instrument or that arrangement, I'm not sure about. If we do that, and we're all guilty of doing that, we miss the point, don't we? It's not about us. Worship isn't about us. It's about something that we do for him. It's not when we receive from worship, that's incredible, but that's not the reason. When we receive, that's just God being so gracious and kind and, and humble and pure that he wants to uh, give, a, give us his presence. And that's amazing. But we worship for him. We worship because he's the king of kings and he's glor- he's glor- we want to glorify him and he's worthy. So when we work, we worship because we're designed and created to. It's all for him. It's not about us, but it's all for Jesus. So how do we show people to Jesus? 
where we show who Jesus really is, this King of humility, this King of purity, and we show who Jesus is to people through our lifestyle. If we have a lifestyle of serving here, but also in our own environments, if we have a lifestyle of worship, that is totally different to what people are used to. And I want to finish and land with this, that Jesus entered Jerusalem. He entered on that triumphal entry. But that same entry is available to each one of us. Not just in our location, not just in our area, but right here in each of our hearts. That he's entering into each of our hearts if we want to let him. That Jesus enters into our life and we have that response, that choice of whether we serve and worship him or we don't. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. that said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus did for us. That is the king that we worship. And that is our choice. That we can allow Jesus to enter into our life today, maybe for the first time, maybe re-again, just be reminded, yes, Jesus, I need to worship you and serve you. But we need to know that he's here today and he will come into our lives if we ask him. So why don't we stand and pray for us.